Well, we've heard part of it for our call to worship, but our Old Testament reading is Psalm 118. So would you hear now the word of the Lord? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This psalm is probably uh, quite familiar to many of us, at least parts of it. Maybe we're not familiar with the whole, but a lot of it, it's something that we've heard much before. It was a hymn that would be sung and repeated in, in procession as the people of God were were making their way on holy days up toward the temple. Remember, the temple was on a mount. It was up. You would ascend toward the temple. And that's what's happening as this is being sung. This was on the lips of those who were singing praise as Jesus rode in on a young donkey into Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Or blessed is the coming one. We read in John of the light that is coming into the world, the one who has come. We 
hear from John the Baptist, of the one who is coming. You may not see yet, you may not know yet, but he is coming. He is greater than me because he was before me. Blessed is the coming one in the name of the Lord. It's, it's likely that when this was on the lips of the people praising outside of Jerusalem, they didn't fully understand what was coming, but they couldn't have chosen a more fitting hymn to sing. This is a movement toward the temple, but it speaks of a new temple, of a different temple. I thank you that you have answered me, it says, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Apostle Peter says that this is speaking of Christ, that Christ was a cornerstone, that he was a stone of stumbling for those who did not believe, that he was rejected, but he was the cornerstone of a new temple, a new house. He was rejected, he was thrown away, He was cast outside the gates of the city, but in that, he became the cornerstone of a new house of God, a new temple, the foundation of a new city. This is the Lord's doing, it says. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. In the death of Christ, as the Father's wrath was poured out and the Son of God was forsaken through his death, through his resurrection, now it can be said that the Lord has made his light to shine upon us. So, what is the answer to these things? What is the response to these things? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Our New Testament reading and sermon text is from John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1 verses 9 to 13. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. It's truly um, a, a terrible thing, a hard bit of suffering to be homeless. Um, some of you, maybe at times in your life, have experienced that before, uh, some kind of homelessness. Think about what it would be like if you haven't experienced that too. To not have a place that you know that you're going at the end of the day. You don't have a place to keep things safe. Think about all that a home represents to us. It represents safety and security. It gives a kind of ownership and uh, attachment 
to a place. We're physical creatures, and God has not made us omnipresent. He hasn't made us to live everywhere, to experience everything. He's made us to be local, to be localized in a certain place uh, with certain people. And often it's a, a home that connects us to those particular places. Even if you haven't experienced maybe that kind of physical homelessness, maybe you've experienced uh, other kinds, the rejection of family, the rejection of those who are close to you, right? Where you're, you're left without any kind of extended network of people that you can rely on, that can help you when you're most in need, right? Where you're without a, any kind of support network that families, by God's design, are naturally supposed to be. Again, we've been made for such a thing. We're not made to be isolated individuals. We're made to live in community with those support networks around us. There's also a kind of maybe alienation uh, that you've felt. I, I expect that most of us have felt or had some sense of in the modern world. We might not be able to name exactly what it is all the time. But for many reasons, most of us have been removed in some way from the structures and institutions and relationships that have through most of human history uh, been where you find that connection to place, connection to others, been, been what helped to give you meaning and direction in life. Many of us experience the modern world as in some way meaningless. There's an author that I really like named Walker Percy. I mean, he, he explains it as, as feeling like a, a ghost that's haunting your own life. This kind of meaninglessness, sense that nothing matters. It's very common right now. Um, I've met with people or talked with people and heard multiple times people say something to the effect of life feels like it's a video game. Like it doesn't really matter. I'm kind of playing it, but there's it doesn't really matter, right? I'm not, I'm not connected to it, not deeply anyway. We're lost in the cosmos, a kind of homelessness of soul. I say these things just to try to connect you with a bit of a sense of what it feels like, what it's like to be homeless or rejected. But even that homelessness that we experience on whatever level, it just barely comes to scratch the surface of what it was that Jesus Christ had to come up against. He entered a home that he made. He came to people that he knit together in their mother's wombs. He came into a world that he was upholding and sustaining, and he was rejected. But it was through his rejection that he made your reception possible. He was rejected by his own 
home. And in that rejection, you can now be a child of God. As I read through this passage over and over this week and meditated on it, I kept feeling uh, just a deep sense of shame or almost uh, disgust reading about what happened to Christ. This text speaks of uh, truly the darkness in us, the darkness in the world. And that's strange because it starts by talking about light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You wouldn't think of that as a dark passage. Light is one of these primary themes that we've talked about that runs all through the Gospel of John. It's maybe the theme of the Gospel of John. And this light was coming into the world, the true source of knowledge, of revelation, of life, of meaning. That light, the light that gives light to the whole world, was coming into the world. It's speaking of the incarnation, that Christ was coming, that Jesus taking on flesh and entering into the world, he was that light. It was like the, the, the sun as it rises. The sun doesn't just start shining in full brightness. It slowly rises. Even before we can see the sun, we see its light at dawn. The light shines and then rises. And in its rising, it gives off the fullness of its light. That's what was happening in the incarnation. The light was beginning to shine. The sun was beginning to rise. And truth and revelation and knowledge, distinction and life and holiness, all of this which is represented in the light was entering into the world in the truest and fullest form in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's good, right? That is light. That's That doesn't sound dark at all, and it's not, of course. You would think, though, that that coming into the world would lead to rejoicing. It would lead to thankfulness. It would lead to praise, anticipation. Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It cuts to the heart. You have this one coming who who made it all, created it all, and crafted it all, who the world is for and about, the designer, the artist who made it all. Some of you are artists in one capacity or another. Some of you have to be related to or married to artists. Isn't it true that in a work of art, you can see something of the artist, right? In every piece of art, you can learn something. It says something of the one that made it. 
This is why you could read different novels by the same author, and you'll see many of the same themes and ideas or characters showing up time and again. It might be a totally different work. It might be, be uh, something that talks completely different about a totally different subject, and you'll still see that artist at work, that novelist at work. Different painters might be drawn to certain styles or, or color palettes, and yet you can, you can see in their work something about them. Art comes from a person. It tells you something about the one who created it. And here is the world, the cosmos, the, the ordered creation, all of it imbued with a, a touch of the artist, the one who made it and shaped it, all of it with his watermark, his fingerprints, his style, all of it speaks about him. That artist, the creator, that author, the poet who spoke all things into existence, he entered into his work. He came into it. He was in the world, it says. The architect came to the home that he designed and crafted and built. A husband returns to his home, to his bride. And the world did not know him. Lord, have mercy on the world did not know him. In a way, now John kind of takes that larger statement, that you know, circle, if you will, and he's, he's going to slowly bring it in to the, the more intimate relationships with God that you would expect to see receiving him, those who were closest to him. Yes, maybe the world did not know him, but the world is fallen. It fell in Adam. We're all in rebellion because of that. Much of the world had followed the path of Cain. The nations were scattered at Babel. There was a rejection of the true God. But God still chose for himself one man, Abraham, and his Seed. He made a new people for himself. In their midst, he dwelt in a house that he had them build. So wouldn't they recognize him? Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Even his own people rejected him. When it says it, his own, it can be translated his home, his place, his things. It's his dwelling, his home. So he came to his own home, and his own people still rejected him. We're going to see this over and over in the Gospel of John. We've already seen it some. The priests and Levites, the Pharisees, those who represented God to the people who stood in the temple day after day, who were meant to instruct everyone, 
in terms of who God is. They wouldn't recognize him. They would reject him. In John 7, we're told of a time when Jesus' own siblings would reject what he was saying about himself. Even they did not believe what he was saying. From the beginning, Jesus calls disciples to himself, but even from the start, he knows that one of them will betray him, one who he will minister with for his entire ministry, who he will disciple, who he will live with through this whole time, who he will wash the feet of. And still, Judas Iscariot would betray him. The rest of the disciples would flee when he's arrested. Simon Peter, the most vocal supporter of Christ, will be the most vocal in his denial of him. The scope of the rejection of Jesus is is not something that we can fully experience, but by analogy, maybe you can just begin to conceptualize that kind of homelessness, rejection by family, by loved ones. Many of you have probably seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life. You know the story. George Bailey wishes that he didn't exist, and so he has shown what it would be like if he didn't, but he still goes about through the town meeting people that he He thinks he knows, but they don't know him. And so he'll speak to people that he knows, but they don't know him. Even his own wife, Mary, when he comes to her, doesn't know him. Runs from him, screams when he tries to get near. Maybe that gives you a little bit of just that concept of what it's like. That kind of rejection. Those that should know you, don't know you. To be unknown by those that you most love and care about. It just scratches the surface. And the rejection of Christ was not a rejection of purely of ignorance. There was malice involved. There was sin involved. The darkness didn't want to be exposed. People loved the darkness because their deeds were evil and they didn't want to come out into the light. Think about when you've seen, uh, you know, a child, not just, you know, uh, worked up, but being incredibly disrespectful to their parents, you know, screaming at them, maybe hitting them, uh, something that is just on an, on an extreme level. You just think about, you know, the sense that you feel, that kind of, you know, sometimes we might just call it a kind of awkwardness, but it really is kind of a almost like a shame, a kind of disgust. You, it's wrong, right? You see it, you know there's, there's something deeply wrong. Why? Because you have a, a child who came from, is dependent on, is cared for by the parent, and yet treating the parent with, you know, such shame and dignity. This is what we did to Christ when he came the one who deserved the most honor and deference in our life, being treated the most shamefully. But to reject the Son of God is not like rejecting 
just some other person. To reject the light is to live in darkness without the light. To reject the one who gives life is to reject life itself. To be alienated from the God-man is to be alienated from both heaven and earth. And so in not welcoming home the one who made it all, humanity, we as, as mankind have also been displaced. We've been cast out of the ordered creation. Right? Outside of Christ, wandering around without a home. To reject the, the author of the story of your life is to reject the one that can take all the pieces of it and make it one coherent narrative. To put it all together, to make it all make sense. To reject the one who upholds reality is to increasingly move further and further away from it, to disassociate from it. So what happens then is you begin to seek out some means of proving your own existence. This is, again, I'm, I'm very influenced on this point by Walker Percy, someone I've learned a lot from, but I believe this is the reason that as a culture we're so obsessed with sex and now becoming increasingly violent as well. We're seeking some way to prove our own existence. It's hard to deny your own reality at the the peak of physical gratification, Uh, but it's not impossible. And over time, what happens is even with that, you begin to lose touch. You begin to feel as though you're not connected to anything, heaven or earth, The rejection of the God-man leads to a disconnection from heaven and earth. After that uh, comes violence, right? Violence toward others uh, to prove something of your own existence. Not that any of this is conscious, you know, conscious. It's it's not as though you you say, this is why I'm going to act in this way. But as people, we act out in some way to try to prove to ourselves It's all real. There's something real and meaningful and purposeful. You're seeking some kind of existential certainty through these different forms of physical gratification. And as long as somebody continues to reject Christ, they are moving further and further away from the truth, from reality, from meaning, from the light, into outer darkness. That's where it ends. All of this, and so much more, comes because in rejecting the one who built the home that we inhabit, the world that we inhabit, the bodies that we inhabit, we we have actually become homeless ourselves, spiritually homeless, alienated from a properly ordered life, alienated from properly ordered relationships, alienated from our home. But Jesus knew that he would be rejected. 
He came to be rejected, but not to stay rejected. He knew that the hour was coming when all would leave him, when he would be rejected even by those who are closest to him, that he would be left completely alone. And it was all part of his plan from the beginning. It was through the rejection of Christ that he made possible your reception of him, and in so doing, your reception into a new home. But, it's one of the, it's one of the best words in the whole of Scripture. We always read of what has come to the world and to us and to our families and to our lives because of the sin, because we have sought after those things which are earthly in us because we have sought after those things that Christ would not have for us. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. His people rejected him, but he came to make a new people. His children despised him, but he came to bring new birth. He was kicked out of his home, crucified outside of his own city as the heir of David. But he was the cornerstone of a new home, a new temple, a new city. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Despite being rejected, and this by those who should have known better, the testimony of John is that by the grace of God, some did receive him. The reception was made maybe partial. It was maybe not complete, at least not until after the the resurrection after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but it was still real in the time of Christ. And it was just the first fruits. It was just the beginning. Jesus came to his home. His home rejected him. But he told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. Right In my father's home, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. The Jews and Judea might reject him, but those in Galilee and Samaria would receive him. Those in power may seek to kill him, but those without such social standing would find life in him. You who are hearing me right now, this promise is for you. This statement from John is for you, to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the purpose of the gospel. It's the primary reason why we're working through the gospel of John. So that you might receive and believe in Jesus Christ and so be his children. To grow in that faith, to grow in that knowledge, to grow in that light. And so to begin new life, eternal life, 
and grow in that light. To receive Jesus is to be received by him. It's to accept the revelation of God that comes to us through him. It's to accept what Jesus said about himself, about God, what he spoke through the apostles. It's to bow your knee and surrender to him as your Lord. And as you do that, um, that's not the end. That's not where it stops. It's just the beginning to then grow in that belief, to grow in that faith, to grow in that testimony, and to grow in that, in that confidence that you are a child of God. The Apostle John here uses a, a general term for children. Very often in our modern translations, at least in the New Testament, when you read uh, the phrase children of God, it's usually translating the phrase sons of God. Uh, but we have just different language conventions, and so uh, people want to change that. John actually uses the more general phrase children of God because he reserves the title of son of God only for Christ. Christ is the only one. He is held out as distinct, as separate. But because he is the Son of God, you can be a child of God. Through him, you who believe have been brought into such a fellowship with God that you can be called his children. You might be homeless in this life, but you have a home with him. You may be alienated by family in this life, but he has brought you into his family. And your reception is one that is fixed. It is sure. It is rested on a firm foundation because it's not done according to the will of man, but the will of God. You're not born, it says, according to blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man. It's, it's not through man and the power of man that you have been born again, but through and by the will of God. So rejoice. Your place in God's home is as sure as the position that Christ holds at his right hand. Your new birth and new life is as sure as the sonship of the one that you are united to by faith. You have come into the light that brings light to all things, and so nothing is left in darkness. You have come to reality itself, and now all things become meaningful and purposeful for you. You have come to a true home, a home that cannot be taken away, that you can never be alienated from, that will not reject you. He was rejected so that you wouldn't be. He was not received, but he now receives you as you receive him. I want to close just by reading some of Christ's words from John 17, as Christ went to his death, as he would be left completely alone in the world, and yet he had the confidence that he was not alone because the Father was with him. He prayed to the Father these words. He said, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, 
I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks, and we give you all the glory, and we rejoice knowing that you have made for us a new home, and that through your rejection, you have built for yourself this new temple. Lord, as we draw near to you now, we pray that you would give us faith. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. Help us to know, to experience your love, the love of the Father, which is in you, and you in us. In your name, Amen.